Do you know anybody in the college that may know anything about this thing called ASF? Because I keep getting emails every day about it. Uh, ASF? Yeah, no, no, no. So Dan Rock, who's in pathobiology, is probably one of the world's leading experts on ASF. He's probably infected more pigs with ASF than anybody. But um, I've dealt a little bit, maybe more than a little bit now, uh, over the last few years, particularly in Eastern Europe and some work I do. So it's a uh, fascinating disease and certainly devastating, um, both for the pigs and socially. So we should chat about that because that's pretty interesting. Welcome to the Round Bar. So can you talk to us a little bit about what ASF, what does it stand for, and what the heck is it? So ASF is African swine fever, and not surprisingly, it originated in Africa, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa in particular. Um, and it is uh, a really old disease. And it's cool because it's the world's largest virus that we know of. So it's this giant DNA virus, which means it's genetically very stable. It doesn't change very much. Um, and it's endemic in Africa, and it has been. Uh, what it, does it mean when you say it's endemic in so Africa? Pigs are infected in Africa all the time with African swine fever, but the herds tend to be, they're smallholders in Africa. So they're small herds, and so there's kind of low rates of transmission. And it, it is a concern, right? So if you talk to people working in that space, and we've got some people here that, that you know, that are from Africa or spent a significant amount of time working in Africa in those food systems, it is a significant drag on economies in Southern Africa because pork is a largely consumed meat there, right? Pigs can forage, they can eat stuff that humans can't eat. Easy to keep them in close contact. So pigs are an important part of the food chain in that part of the world. And they're you're saying they're raising pigs very differently than how we would raise pigs in the US. They're 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 essentially eating trash or leftovers or that's exactly things right. Like that. Yeah. So okay. they're eating scraps and foraging and roots and, and other stuff. Um and again smallholder. So you know a family has a savat and um, very much a recycling mentality to maintain the food scheme as opposed to here, right, where we raise things commercially. Um, so how many pigs would be if there's one pig on a farm, family farm in Africa, how many pigs would be on a family farm here in the U.S.? Um, well, the typical farm in the U.S., and we're talking breeding females, so sows, right? I mean, we kind of think of a farm today as 5,000 sows. Okay. And so the U.S. is is clearly in, in Western Europe is clearly industrialized. We're much larger in the U.S. here than they are in Western Europe. And then Brazil would very much mimic the U.S. Uh, and then you're seeing the same thing in China. So this progression from pigs to large industrial complexes and has led with efficiency. And, you know, believe it or not, these big complexes are much better for greenhouse gases because we use less corn and they use less food. And so there's less, you know, we raise them much more efficiently. So very different deals. And so in Africa, we've got these, you know, substance farmers raising pigs basically for their own consumption most of the time. That's where most of the pigs are. Very few commercial farms in Africa. Um, and then we only care about it, or it's made the news, because it was introduced to the Republic of Georgia, so not the state of Georgia, uh, in in the in 2014. I may have the date quite wrong, but now that I think about that. But 10 years ago-ish, it was introduced to the Republic of Georgia, and it is spread across Eastern Europe uh, from there. How Eastern. did it spread? Is well, this... I'll talk about that in a second. Okay. So it's spread from Eastern Europe then into China. 
Okay. So the first question is how the heck did it get in? How did it get from Africa into Georgia? And the interesting part about ASF is, and why we're so concerned about it in the United States, is that ASF survives in meat. So, you know, most viruses die when the host dies. African swine fever is exactly the opposite. When the host dies, the virus is in a happy place. And I thought I read something that it ASF can stay alive or transmissible in meat even after it's been cooked or cured. Correct. And that's the risk. Okay. So it'll live in dry sausages for, so pepperoni is a dry sausage, salami is a dry sausage for years. In the freezer, we think it's basically stable for a really, really long, I mean, years it's stable at freezer temperature. How does a virus do that? Well, so it's big. Big viruses tend to be a bit more, you know, it's more protected. It's also how it's evolved to be, it's a, it's a, it's fitness factor. So if we think about where it came out of, you've got small herds in Africa, the chance of contact between one herd and the next herd isn't very great. And so the virus evolved to be a virus that if it lived outside the host, it increased its chance of contacting another susceptible host. So the virus itself doesn't spread between live pigs very easily. In fact, it spreads quite slowly. But in an animal that dies, that carcass is infectious, particularly in the winter, for a really long period of time. So how do you kill it if you can't kill it by cooking meat? That seems like the way we kill all viruses is you just light it on fire. And yeah, you, then you can kill it in meat uh, if you cook it almost twice the boiling temperature of water, right? So right. you've got to nuke it. Um, and so that's one of the challenges. So the strategy is we don't want to consume, we don't want contaminated meat in the food supply chain. Okay. Because if we have meat in the food supply chain, if we, if we butcher and process infected pigs... The meat out of those pigs is infectious. And now if you think about what goes on, if I'm feeding pigs scraps, then that scraps that are left over from the meat gets fed back to the pigs and I infect a new population. Is it, can a human get sick from ASF if they eat? Absolutely not. Not No other species we know of is, can be infected okay. with ASF. Now, if you eat infected pork, you will, sh it, you will shed it. Okay. The virus, because it doesn't die in our, in the, and not all of it dies in our digestive tract either. So uh, if I feed infected meat to a dog and that dog um, goes to the next village and defecates, the pigs that don't interact with that stool could be infected. Oh, wow. So this stuff is tough. I mean, it really lives in the environment a long time. And that's its key survival tactic is surviving outside the host. So that's an interesting bit about the virus. And I've spent a fair amount of time in Eastern Europe, and, and certainly I've got friends and, and colleagues and clients there. You're friends? Don't tell them that's a secret. <laughs> I'll be one of your friends, Jim. I had to go to a foreign country. Um, <laughs> but as you look at you know what's happening there, Eastern Europe is different than Western Europe, what culturally. Do you, what do you mean by they're different culturally? So in Western Europe... Um, Pig farming in Western Europe is almost all commercial. So the pigs are in not nearly as large of holdings as we would have here in the United States or Brazil. They're not raising pigs for food, for their own food. They're raising pigs to sell meat to other people for other people's food. And if you think about food chains that way, am I raising food for myself or am I raising food for other people? And so Western Europe, the United States, you know, most of Brazil's production 
in Chinese production today is I'm making food for others. That's as okay. we've industrialized agriculture, right? That's how people can move to cities because we can now make food to 2% of the population feeds 98% of the population. And so that's what happens in the U.S., right? There's less than 2% of the people working in agriculture today that feed the rest of this country and big chunks of the rest of the other country. That's what goes on in Western Europe. The percentages aren't the same. And, and But basically, where you've got urban areas, that's what goes on. So in large parts of Eastern Europe, you still have people raising pigs in particular for their own food. Um, and part of that is... Um, just substance, like they need that food. But a bigger part of that in Eastern Europe is because there's plenty of food available. I mean, is is the wall came down in 89. I mean, there's there's plenty of food available in Eastern Europe, plenty of pork available. And pork's a huge part of their their diet. And, and pork's the most commonly consumed protein around the globe. So it's a, you know, it's a it's a important part of our global protein chain. New Eastern Europe, there's a real cultural aspect of that pick. So in, in Romania, um, in the farther south you get in the Easter, you get the more of it. You see some of it in Poland, um, almost none in Germany, but I've spent a lot of time in Romania, Romania, Moldova, Hungary. There are still small villages, and those small villages typically have pigs. And they raise those pigs to eat, but it's very much tied into the winter stroke Christmas tradition. So they raise these pigs in early December. They'll butcher these pigs in a very much a community thing. It's very much a community event. To all the wonderful products that they make in, in that part of the world. So head cheeses and different sausages and blood sausage, et cetera, et cetera. And then that becomes part of the Christmas celebration. But that also becomes, right, gifts that they share between villages or gifts they share with friends or gifts that they send to others in other parts of the country. They're gifts with a little gift inside. Yeah, that those has pigs are a in gift fact, of ASF in it. That's right. And so that's the concern. And so as we look at that, that's why they've right spread well, we believe that there's two things. One, we've spread virus around within the domestic pigs. Okay. About Europe having three pig populations. Commercial pigs, which are housed and reared like we do here. We're making food for others. Domestic pigs where they're raising food for themselves, or in this case, cultural things for themselves. And then the third big bucket is wild pigs or wild boars. So the European wild boars all over in Europe. So we have feral pigs. We don't really have wild pigs here. We have domestic pigs that have gone wild. I see. Okay. European wild boar is actually a separate species. It's not a commercial pig that we raise, okay. but he's susceptible to um, uh, uh, ASF just like domestic pigs are. So... What we think is happening in Eastern, what we know is happening in Eastern Europe, the virus is spreading amongst these domestic, these backyard pigs, these village pigs, and it spreads with meat. And then we throw out the infected scraps, and now we get wild boars infected, or the wild boar population. And it's not just males, it's it's the European wild boar, they're obviously females of those because they make more. But the wild boar population gets infected. So if you look at the maps in Poland, it's pretty interesting, and we've done a little bit of that mapping here, that you see the virus moving or new cases of the virus moving in domestic pigs along uh, a kind of a steady path, but then it jumps to the next village. And that's from Probably. wild No, we pigs. think it's food. Oh, from food, from somebody's yes, sharing. Yes, it jumps hundreds of kilometers. Oh, wow. And then from that point, you start to see the wild pigs reinfected. 
Oh, and then the cycle just probably keeps the propagating cycle, itself. And the cycle propagates. So, right. So it propagates itself. And so the wild pigs, the wild boars, and the domestic pigs have a lot of interaction. And then we've seen commercial pigs infected, particularly in Southern Europe, particularly in Romania, where the outbreak is basically not under control at all. We see these domestic pigs being infected, or commercial pigs being infected, because you have food again coming into those farms or we get contact that we don't understand. The virus is transmitted by ticks. It's transmitted, they think, by mosquitoes. Is we put enough pressure, we don't have good enough biosecurity to keep fires out of the commercial farms. So then we start impacting commercial farms, which remember they feed other people. So now we're starting to put the food chain in some of those countries at risk and we're forcing them to import meat. So Romania would have been self-sustaining on pork. They have to import a lot of pork now because they've continued to depopulate their commercial farms in the face of ASF outbreaks. So as an infectious disease person, I'm sure you look at this as a black and white type situation, right? Like you want to control the disease, you want to stop the spread of it. But then there's this really interesting cultural aspect to it. We ran into this with COVID, right? When, when people, we were told, don't socialize, don't get together for Christmas. And that goes against our culture as Americans and I guess as humans, maybe there's certain, depending on where you live, there's certain things we want to do. And I guess my question for you is how do we stop this? If part of the spread is people doing what's normal in their culture, they don't want to stop doing that. I don't want to stop people from sharing their pork products at Christmas, right? Yeah. I was told a long time ago, probably in vet school that Public health or population disease management, which is what, you know, public health is with people and we do it with, with, it's all the same scientifically, it's all the same, but it was the intersection of science and politics. And I, and I think that's wrong. I think it's the inter ex intersection of science and sociology. How do societies function? And any of these decisions we make with respect to disease control, two-legged disease or four-legged disease, there has to be societal acceptance of um, what's going on and the consequences uh, of control or not control. And so if we take things blindly, yeah, so let's just take Romania. I have probably the most knowledge about, but enough to understand what's going on, right? It would be very simple to say we should go depopulate all the village pigs. They know where they're all at. They're, it's Europe, they're reasonably tracked. We know where they are. We should just go depopulate all those village pigs there aren't that many wild boars in Romania. It would be fairly easy to clean it up after that. And the country would be absolutely free of ASF. Could it be done? Absolutely. To wipe out the entire swine population of one country is a possibility. Except for the commercial pigs, because we know how to protect them. Okay. All right, so we go take all the backyard pigs, village pigs. Okay. Their wild boars are not that big a deal. How do you confine a wild how they trap them they you know that's okay. there are wildlife people that do that i don't understand but they they could cull that population you've seen that done in germany although it failed a bit but is there a scientific path forward absolutely there's a scientific path forward the challenge is is that that's not going to be very well accepted by society because it's so deeply ingrained right. in their culture right and so to come in and say we're just going to wipe all these things out without a plan b is not going to be accepted. So if it's not accepted, guess what? They're going to go hide pigs. They're going to avoid, they'll move pigs around, right? I mean, humans are much more creative than we 
you know, you try to control them, right? And it's like even the dog will outsmart you most days. And so it's a pitch that we probably can't force it down their throat. And so it has to say, how do we have a plan? How do we have an alternative strategy? How do we work within the social structure? Because it's a short-term pain versus a long-term gain strategy. So if you look at the consequences, just maybe in Romania, you could easily see we're going to protect the short-term sociological normality that we butcher these pigs at Christmas, and we damage the countries long-term. Conversely, I could reverse that and say, well, we have to protect the long-term feeding of the country, but I deeply damage the cohesion of the society. Right. The societal bonds, the common story of Romania. And so both of them have a real crappy long-term out view. And so it's figuring out how do you balance those things. And I think those are the discussions we're not very good as, as professionals and sociologists to have. And I think if I just had a wild dream in life, it would be how do we engage sociologists more in medicine, both right. veterinary and human, to say how do we balance, how do we understand those cultural norms and traditions better and balance that it doesn't mean we just roll over, but how do we pitch our message in a way that helps people understand and balance those two bits of, of science betterness versus sociology betterness? Right. Yeah. I think that as a young clinician, I was all about the science and the black and white and the facts and what's the disease and what's the treatment. And now I realize, I think most veterinarians realize there's art to it and there's this sociology aspect to it. We really can't accomplish our mission without at least acknowledging it exists. Um, when we talk about ASF and then monitoring it, there's been, at least I keep getting email notifications about everybody's worried about it coming into the US. Why is everybody so worried? that what's going on in Romania or what's going on in another part of the world is now going to have such a significant impact on the U.S. It's purely economic. It's our, money, it's, as it it's always, always is, it's always, right? it's always the dinero, right? But, well, I think there's a couple of things. One, so uh, the World Organization for Animal Health, OIE, which is the animal equivalent of the, the WHO, the WHO, um, we've all signed on to those treaties. And so we've agreed that there's a certain set of diseases that are called reportable, meaning if you have those diseases, you basically cannot export meat. So in the case of the U.S. with African swine fever, foot and mouth disease, or classical swine fever, we're free of all these really major, we don't have any trade restrictions today in the U.S. because we're free of these reportable diseases. And we export a fair amount of the pork produced in the U.S.? Yeah, a lot. Where are we sending it to most of the time? All over the globe. It's okay. Mexico's our biggest partner. And okay. so Mexico, uh, as you would expect, uh, the close, uh, they'd be our biggest trading partner. But bits of the globe take different bits of the pig. Okay. So uh, we send a lot of stuff to Asia that we wouldn't eat here in the United States. So we send pig tongues to the United to Asia. Have you ever had a pig tongue before? Uh, no, they put it in soup. Oh. So I don't know, but uh, that's not the... You don't lick it. No, you don't. Like it. <laughs> but it's uh, because there are, again, it's, it's again, sociology. So there's demand for these parts. And so uh, if I'm going to make this one tongue and if they kill X number of pigs in, in Vietnam, 
and there's demand for more pig tongues than what they can make in Vietnam, we can export those tongues to Vietnam to fill that market need. I see. And so that's the great part about global. There's a lot of drawbacks to global trade, but one of the great parts of global trade is, is that we can make value out, we can meet market needs and create value out of things that in our market aren't worth anything and they are worth a ton. By the same token, they're not buying bacon. That's not part of their... <laughs> so we, we need the belly. That's great. We'll eat our belly and ship ship parts and pieces to them that we don't need and, and we create value. We don't pull meat back from Asia because of their ASF and CSF and all these reportable diseases positive. So we don't import pigs in the United States. Okay. Or meat in the United States. We don't import any? No, we import not from Asia. We don't import oh, anything okay. from Asia. No, okay. so we import from Brazil and, and, and other spots across the globe that are free. We import from Europe, our Danish hams, et cetera. But we have equivalent disease status, so there's no sanitary requirements that we can't import. So the problem with ASF is, is that it would immediately cut off our exports. So if we had a positive pig anywhere in the U.S., whether it's a potbelly pig or it's a commercial pig, it's essentially going to... Kibosh exports. Okay. Until we can prove we've eradicated it. Or we could zone the country and say we have chains that are certified free. Supply chains that are certified for your regions that are certified for you. And there's a lot of work going on in the background. We've been act very actively involved with that of saying, how do we get to a position if it shows up here that we can maintain exports if it's in one small part of the country? It's a big country. How could we divide the country up and make that happen? So how that works, that's still up in the air. But there's a lot of work going down that path. The concern is, and I presume where you're getting emails, is that ASF's been introduced into Hispaniola, so the DR, the Dominican Republic, that border is open and forth. And so um, ASF in the Western Hemisphere now, which is a big deal. And if you've seen the stories, right, there's a lot of movement from those islands into Central and South America. Uh, and so the concern is, um, and there's, there's movement into the U.S. COVID's obviously cut a lot of that off. But we're pretty comfortable with our customs border protection that everybody's got their arm up. Again, it's a meat problem that we're not letting meat into the country. But so you don't bring your ham sandwich from the Dominican Republic. Do not bring your Dominican ham sandwich. I don't care how good it is. Do not bring it with you. But Puerto Rico is right there, right? And that's part of the U.S. And so the U.S. DA has already moved to segregate Puerto Rico as a separation zone. So if it would show up there, we've got protection from the U.S. We've already put all the buffers in to say that we're treating Puerto Rico as a foreign spot, that it's contaminated. It's not. It's not infected. But we've got all the barriers in place ahead of time so that we could prevent it from getting to the mainland. I think everyone's concern is not um, does it come straight from the from the DR into the mainland U.S., although that could happen. I think the concern is does it move from the DR to a country without as good a border control? Um, and I don't mean who gets in the border, but if you right when you come in and those little beagles are at the airport. Yeah. Um, the good's pretty hard to get in here, except for a few borders across Mexico and, and Canada. Everything else comes in by plane or ship. Right. And so at those spots, right, we've got dogs, we've got searching, we've got x-rays on bags coming in, right? So we do a reasonably good job of looking for all those stuff, i.e. meat, and CPD has cranked it up, and we're grateful that, you know, Customs Border Protection is really aware and work closely with USDA to protect us. But the fear becomes what happens if it gets into the rest of uh, the Americas? What if it gets on the mainland? 
So what if it ends up in Brazil? What if it ends up in Argentina? What if it ends up in Mexico or Costa Rica? Um, once it gets on the mainland, that's a much more difficult conversation of saying, how do we stop it? Are the, are the pig farms, can I call them pig farms? Is yeah, yeah, call them yeah. Pig farms, not some fancy word for it. Are the pig farms routinely sur doing surveillance in the pig populations in the U.S. right now? Every week they're testing a sample of pigs, making sure they don't find ASF, or is this... How, how do you even no? So we look test. So we test routinely today, but it's all at harvest. So at the time oh. of slaughter, we pull samples. It goes on in our diagnostic lab here. We test for African swine fever and classical swine fever. Downstairs. Downstairs. Okay. Yep. On slaughter samples every week. Okay. So we're pulling slaughter, and that happens across the globe. Um, and the same thing goes on for foot and mouth disease and uh, etc. On the cattle side. So there, USDA, uh, APHIS um, has a has a very nice. Um, surveillance plan to pick it up. The problem is if we pick it up there, it's probably late. So we know we're free and that's how we report we're free. But we spent a lot of time, that's been a lot of preparedness of getting posters out. What do these diseases look like? Because classical swine fever, formerly called hog cholera, African swine fever, vesicular stomatitis look the same. So I don't know, we got dead pigs with blisters. What are we doing? You know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's hard to differentiate between those, even foot and mouth disease, they're hemorrhagic fever diseases, and theoretically, could I tell them apart? Sure, but it's really raising this awareness that we could have a disease in the U.S., and it's probably going to take some individual on a farm taking care of pigs every day to say, wait a minute, these pigs are dying or something I don't understand. And, and how do we raise that flag and get the veterinary authorities involved? And this isn't just a pig problem, right? Um, it is now impacting dogs coming into the U.S. When I saw that their USDA put out some restrictions about dogs, I think was effective um, the middle of August, um, dogs being imported into the U.S. from known countries with ASF now have to follow various restrictions. Um, and can you help me understand why that's related to ASF? So it's all risk of them eating contaminated meat. So a dog in Romania that eats a ham sandwich um, and then that dog is coming into the U.S., that dog may have ASF? Well, it, the dog itself wouldn't. But again, if it ate the ham sandwich, the virus will pass through the intestinal tract. So, okay. you know, we worry about dogs eating infected carcass or meat, scrap, meat scraps in Romania and going to the next village and infecting those pigs when they defecate. Wow. Okay. And so that's the same concern here that they're the dog itself will not be infected. They're not infectious, but they serve as a fomite, which is a fancy word for a physical carrier. And so they physically could carry that virus. And the concern is because dogs may eat um, either meat scraps, which would be very, very common to feed, you know, meat scraps to dogs in other countries. Or dead carcass. We do that here too, right? That's Probably right. everybody who has a dog gives them a little bit of hamburger or pork. Yeah, so it's this, but it's meat scrap feeding back to dogs is a big concern, or if they're eating carcasses, which is less likely. But if you think about it, if you're in a country that um, has a bunch of dead pigs that that um, they don't know what to do with, it might be handy to grind those up and feed them to dogs as dog food, or chop those up and feed them to dogs. And huh. so the risk of feeding ASF contaminated carcasses to dogs is quite high. They may not put them in the human's food supply chain, but they wouldn't think two seconds about putting them in the dog food supply chain. Okay. 
And so the, the challenge is, remember it said you gotta cook it to 180, even if I render it, which is what we do to uh, scrap meat here in this country. So rendering means you cook it to a really high temperature, you boil the fat off, you separate the fat from the protein that's left, the meat meal that's left. Even if you do that, um, that process has to be super effective. I mean, it has to get to temperature and you can't have any cross-contamination between uncooked and cooked material. And if you look at bovine spongiform of cephalopathy, BSE, mad cow disease in the US, or in the, excuse me, in the UK, what, that's what happened. They were rendering cattle parts from dead stock and some of that ended up in the cattle feed and the rendering didn't kill the pyrons um, because it didn't get hot enough and there was some cross contamination. So it's been a ban, right? We don't feed ruminant byproducts back to ruminants because of the risk of BSE. But here I'm feeding porcine byproducts back to dogs and I could still have ASF if I get cross contamination right. in there. And so now I'm worried about the dog being infectious coming into the country. So that's that's where that risk is coming from. And there's a huge, you know, I was shocked. Uh, I've had discussions with Mark Ernst, our state veterinarian, like it's not like two dogs coming in. It's lots and lots and lots of dogs coming in. Sure, and I, I know that there's a fair amount that come in through O'Hare on a daily basis that are gonna be impacted um, by these new regulations. Do you have any other parting words of wisdom for folks that are interested in following this ASF problem? No, I think this, um, I would stay abreast of it. The news is a little behind once in a while. Hopefully uh, nothing comes into the U.S., but I think this is just one more example about how we as a society have to engage in these conversations more deeply and not just uh, argue. And if COVID hasn't taught us that, maybe ASF can, or other diseases like this can have these discussions because there will be a next one. Uh, short-term benefits and losses with long-term benefits and losses and communicate that in an effective way that um, pulls society together instead of pushing it apart. I like that. That's a good way to end this. We all have to come together. We're all in it together and, and we'll get through it all together. So, well, thank you, Dr. Lowe. Thank you, Dr. Mytek. All right, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'd love to hear from you too. Find us on Twitter. Our handle is at the round barn one. We may even share your comments on our next show. Please subscribe and tell your friends about the show. It's available on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. One last thing. We also offer a wide range of learning opportunities for folks who work with livestock and veterinarians too. You can learn more at online.vetmed.illinois.edu. See you soon.